I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Connor Riley joins us. Politely applauding. Kate Connor Riley on Twitter. All right, buddy, we had Danny Cannell on just about a half hour ago, Connor. We were talking about the thing that I've asked you a million times about the Georgia secondary, Keely Ringo, Smith and Company, and are they going to be able to, to because I, Ohio State, the more we started looking at it, man, a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. in that wide receiver core, a little scary. You know, I mean, maybe some quick hits. Are you, are you, what's the one area on defense specifically you're concerned about for the dogs? Yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver Georgia will have played this season. And, uh, you know, Georgia, they're going to ask a lot from their secondary in this game, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, since Nolan Smith has been out with injury, they haven't been able to consistently generate pass rush from off the edges. I I think if you're Georgia, you need Jalen Carter to obviously be the best player in this game. Like, you you, you need your mom to be able to say, oh, that number 88, if you're watching the game with her, if you're watching the game with someone who is not, a big-time football fan, unlike my mom is. She you know, obviously knows who Jalen Carter is. But uh, if you're watching the non-big-time football fan, they need to be able to say that number 88 is the best player in this game. Because if that's the case, C.J. Stroud is going to have going to struggle to get the ball off downfield and make those big plays, which really, in the last two, three years, seeing this Georgia team under Kirby Smart, the only way they get beat is get beat deep, giving up those big explosive plays. And what Ohio State, I think, does have the wide receivers to it. I don't necessarily know if they're fast enough, as we've seen Alabama have that sort of speed edge. Florida, a few years ago in 2020, had that. I don't know if the Buckeyes wide receivers have that top-end speed, but Marvin Harrison Jr. and Medja Abuka are good enough to win in tight spaces. And so Georgia's going to need Jalen Carter to just be like a bull in a china shop and wreck that Ohio State offensive line to make things very difficult for C.J. Stroud. It seems like it's a state secret on the uh... – the condition of Lad McConkey. What have you heard? I do expect him to play. We did not see him out of practice, but I think that was just more because Kirby wants to mess with the media and, you know, <laughs> make people think whatever. Uh, I expect him to be out there playing. It's a pain tolerance issue. Uh, he could go through the entire game fine, or you could see something like you did against LSU where he bangs his knee the wrong way and the injury sort of flares up. It's something that, you know, he can play through and we'll see how it goes in the off season. But I do expect him to be out there and playing at least some kind of role. How involved, how frequently does Georgia use him? We'll see over the course of the game. But I do expect Georgia to have him available and ready to go at the start. McIntosh, I mean, you and I always joke around about you could give any of those running backs 25 totes because everybody's that good, but there's just such a a wealth of weapons. Who's going to be the lead uh, running back in this game? So I I think in terms of touches, it'll probably be Kenny McIntosh, especially in terms of, you know, what he's able to bring out of the backfield. But I actually think Kendall Milton is one of the more interesting players to watch in this game. Since coming back from a groin injury midseason, those sort of, you know, games against LSU, Georgia Tech, uh, Kentucky there – he showed some real impressive burst and acceleration and sort of turned into a bit of a home run hitter for this Georgia team. And so I'll be curious with the month off with him, you know, having fresh legs to go in that game, as that game wears on, I would maybe look for him to have a bigger role as we get deeper and deeper into the game and his ability to hit home runs and hit big plays, I think could be very valuable for this Georgia offense. I think Kenny is the perfect guy to sort of move the ball in that five, 10, 15 yard chunks if he's getting passes out of the backfield. But late in the game, when that Ohio defense figures to be quite tired, I think Kendall Milton is the guy that's going to shut the door on him. 
It's Connor Riley joining us from the Dog Report. Visit dognation.com. Compare and contrast these two uh, coaches, Connor. Yeah, so Kirby Smart, I think, very much preaches toughness and, you know, wants this team, wants this Georgia team to be the most physical team in the country there. You know, sort of the beat-up pickup truck that is just reliable. You know it's going to get you from point A to point B. Whereas I think this Ohio State team, they're sort of like a, a sports car. If I could, you know, use an F1 metaphor, I think they're a lot like Ferrari. They have, you know, all the pieces to be a championship contender, but they're just sort of seems to be one key ingredient missing, you know, as to why they can't sort of get out of their own way. In this case, Ohio State matchup with the physicality and toughness element that Michigan brings. And I think Georgia's going to present a lot of the same issues there. And, you know, Georgia's not going to beat itself to make another F1 analogy, much like Red Bull. They're just they're going to do what they do, know how to do it, and they're going to push all the right buttons. And it's going to be on Ohio State to go out there and out execute. And from what we've seen from Ryan Day, I don't know if he's necessarily the right guy to push all the correct buttons in a game against Georgia and Kirby Smart. It is our dog report. I love the stuff today in Dog Nation. Go on Twitter, guys. Todd Munkin talking about Stetson Bennett the fourth. It's a complete credit to him and has nothing to do with me, said Munkin. He said all we did was try to bury him for a couple of years he was here, <laughs> and all he did was fight and compete. By the way, if anybody won the press conference today, it was, it was Todd Munkin. He also said, like, this is a business. You're going to fire me if we suck, which I thought was great. Yeah. So, and again, I know I've asked you before, but uh, I'm, there'll be some more job openings by the four you know it. Uh, I don't like to change. I fear change. And we talked about other you know, teams like Clemson, Dabble losing assistance. If Todd Munkin was to split, who's the next guy? Would you get plugged in there? Where, where do you think they would go? Yeah, it's interesting. I know Buster Faulkner was just hired as the OC at Georgia Tech. I would maybe expect him to get a long look. Uh, I know people would would rather pull their nails out than have Mike Bobo be the offensive coordinator, but I think that's the name to know there. But I, I don't think Todd Munkin is going anywhere uh, for the foreseeable future. I thought he'd be a really popular candidate. In terms of coaching openings this cycle, he, he really wasn't. I think maybe other than Purdue, his name did not really reach sort of the finalist consideration for any open job. And when he was clearly one of the best coordinators in the country and a guy who has head coaching experience running Southern Miss, you know, you would think he had a lot of options. But he's also got a really great job at Georgia that he very much seems to enjoy. Only has to talk to the media once a year, gets to work with some of the best athletes in the country, and really and is obviously well compensated. He's the highest paid coordinator in the country. And so while, and I think you're right, Mike, you know, change is something to worry about. You have to think about who that potential next offensive coordinator is. I don't think Todd Munkin is going anywhere for the foreseeable future. And I think that's a real benefit to Georgia. And I think it's a really perfect marriage of what Munkin wants out of this point in his coaching career and what Georgia really needs from that offensive coordinator position, given how Kirby has such a large influence on every other aspect of this program. You know, it seems like Dabo losing his uh, coordinators really kind of gummed up the works, threw a wrench into the whole thing. How is it? And I know Nick Saban is still Saban. won like 10, 11 games. I know that, but still hasn't <laughs> yes, gotten yes. to. I mean, National. that's true. That's what the, you expect. But the bar has been raised. Why is it Nick Saban is able to survive constant turnover with his coordinators and Dabo seem to have a little trouble with it? Yeah, I, I, well, I, I think Nick Saban has been doing this longer and is much more accustomed to it. And for, for a while there, you know, Kirby was with him for the first nine uh, seasons there in Alabama. So while the offensive coordinator changed over a little bit, he did bring good stability there. I also think, you know, and this is where Nick Saban deserves a lot of credit, and I think Kirby does as well. You can look at the change he made from abandoning James Coley after just one season when I think it would have been reasonable to give him a second year as much as Georgia struggled in 2019. He knew something needed to change and get better and reacted on the front end to that, whereas I think Dabo waited until his two coordinators got hired, Brent Venables and Tony Elliott, 
And instead of going out and trying to change and fix what Clemson could do better, because Clemson was not great last year. They went 10-3 and three a season ago, and, and that is a far cry from where they were in the college football playoff. I, I think he's sort of like, hey, we've been successful here before. I'm going to bet on what got us, got us here before and has been, made us successful. And I don't necessarily think that is working out the way that he had envisioned it to. Obviously, you know, they go 11-2 and two this season, still technically win the ACC. But the on-field product from Clemson, I think, has slipped pretty clearly from where it's been in years past. And, look, they're not recruiting at the same level they have been in recent years right now. And as some of those really talented players start to cycle out of their program, you know, they used to be recruiting in the top five, top six sort of stratosphere. Now when you're in the team, that's a lot bigger of a gap, talent gap to make up. When you don't necessarily have the coaching edge you used to, I think there's rightful reason to worry about what the future of Clemson football looks like. No, and I get what Rob's saying. I just think, you know, their big mistake this year is they hung on. Dabo was too stubborn with DJU. Right. He's going up. He's going to be a beaver, by the way. He's going to Oregon State. And Clemson's yeah. going to start against Tennessee in the Orange Bowl. Right, and so I think that'll be interesting, but I also think, you know, sticking on to DJ Uwey too long, I think that's another good example of, you know, Dabo's stubbornness. And, you know, every coach is stubborn. They want to prove a point in what they're making. But I think very clearly, if they swap, and again, you know, who knows how Klubnik would have done against South Carolina, but, you know, if they win that South Carolina game, guess what? Instead of playing Tennessee in an Orange Bowl, no one's really going to pay all that much attention to they're getting ready to play Georgia and Atlanta on New Year's Eve for a college football playoff game. And the margins at the top are so thin. And if you're going to be that stubborn and that hard-headed, it's going to cost you. And I think it absolutely costs Clemson this season. All right, Connor, I'm going to bet my retirement is about $5. <laughs> Who's going to win both of these games? And uh, give us a score. Yeah. Give us a score. Uh, I think Georgia's going to beat Ohio State, I will say, 34-21. I think it's a double-digit win for Georgia. Uh, pardon me, wants to say something more like 38-20, but I'll be conservative and say 34-21. Michigan TCU, I will go 24-20 Michigan. I think that TCU is going to be able to keep it close, um, but I do think Michigan is going to have enough talent to maybe win out in the end, but I expect that game to be the closer of the two semifinals, whereas I think Georgia is going to be able to impose its will on Ohio State when they meet on Saturday. I know Georgia fans, it's it's a it's an amazing, wonderful place to be right now on the top of the college football mountain. And I think sometimes when we break it down, Connor, with Carl and, and Rob this week, it's like, yeah, you just it's there's a level in there you say, are we really prepared to say that yes, much like Alabama has been the last decade, you're just better than everyone else. And Ohio State's got tremendous athletes, but I mean and I, I just I've said it like three times uh, this afternoon. I just watched that Michigan game and go, How is that team gonna compete with Georgia? Unless they've heard right, you know, how bad they are, and that's going to be the motivating factor that's going to bring these guys. I mean, at the end of the day, Georgia's got better gyms than Joe's. Right, and to that point, Mike, we, Ohio State heard for the whole last year about that Michigan game in, in 2021, and we and they had bought into, you know, that's a motivating factor for us. We're going to be a tougher, more physical team this year. And then they come out and lay an egg against Michigan, and now a month later, you've got to turn it around and become even more physical and more tougher to take on a Georgia team that I think is a better version of Michigan across the board. I just have a hard time believing that. And I think, you know, touching back on it, again, if Jalen Carter is clearly the best player in this game, which I think he will be, I think that's going to really make things difficult for Ohio State because they're banged up running at running back right now. And if they're not going to be able to run the ball and keep this Georgia defense honest, I just struggle to see how Ohio State is going to be able to hang in there for four quarters, given what we have seen from them and what we know about this Georgia team this season. Well, Connor, thank you for your enthusiastic, well-researched, well-thought-out, lucid-thinking analysis, sir. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. (laughs) 
We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.